0: Hello and welcome to Carnivorous Chats. My name is James, your host. I started this podcast to help other folks share their own healing stories and to interview thought leaders and experts in the carnivore, keto, and low-oxalate space. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to Equip Foods and the Carnivore Bar. As an affiliate, you can use the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products when you check out using the code Carnivorous. Thanks in advance for listening, subscribing, and any likes or shares. And now, on with the podcast.
1: How are you? We got it. I'm going to take a few attempts, but that is okay. Uh, we are we we are versed well. in the oxalate way of things which teaches us patience. <laughs> <laughs> it
2: sure yep. does. It sure does.
1: First of all, thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us. Um, I know there's a lot of folks that are very excited for this live today, as am I. And Sally, there's a saying now that you, you give someone their flowers while they can still s- smell them. And I'm going to give you some of your flowers right now, okay? I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for all your hard work the book everything that you've done it was and i'm a little emotional here because i firmly believe that i would not be here today without your work and it was a light in a very dark place for me and i'm just so honored to be talking with you so thank you really means a lot and you you should just realize how many folks that you've helped around the world in this chat, through your book, through these chat um, talks. And I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much.
2: And that's everything that that's everything I ever hoped for with starting this work. And the biggest gift is relationships with people like you. You're such an outstanding human being and we're getting to connect through our tragedies and my little, life ring i've tried to throw out there and to say hey guys if you're drowning and stuff you don't understand please pull on this one because <laughs> this could pull you out of the muck and it's actually a few of you have found this and picked this up i'm so impressed with people's ability to use the internet and solve their problems and it's so tragic that we've been left without this information it really angers me that my whole profession of public health and nutrition cares not yep. at all and about your story. Sally,
1: what I'm gonna do loosely today is sort of follow this incredible book, which I encourage folks to go pick up um, in terms of how it was laid out, because it's, I firmly believe, and we've chatted about this earlier, that it is laid out in such an approachable way through you. The chapters, the way they go, explain things in such great detail that it is so easy to understand, because those of us that have suffered, excuse me, with oxalate toxicity know the brain fog that accompanies it and know that it can be challenging to wrap your head around a lot of ideology so i want to say thank you again and i really appreciated the first couple of lines that you put in there where you said hang on dear reader we are about to adventure into a hidden world that will challenge you to reconsider everything you thought you knew about healthy eating and that is me to a t <laughs> yeah
2: and you're just a, a you know this is a great um what's the word I'm losing my language here for a minute, but it's like your story is everybody's story. We collectively as a human race are going down this wrong direction with our ideas and what supposedly science is misguiding us all off into a dark age.
1: So I'll allow you for those, if you have been under a rock for the last little while that don't know your story and how you came to write Toxic Superfoods, maybe you could just share a little bit of your own and I can spice it up with some of my story at the end. (laughs)
2: Cool. Yeah, I've been a a health eat, healthy eating geek since I was a little kid. I always liked my vegetables and eating healthy stuff. And my mom would secretly buy herself things like pickled herring and yogurt, which in the day, I mean, we're talking like 1968 or something. You know, that wasn't kid food, but I loved that kind of stuff. So she could share that with me. (laughs) I was like, yes, this is the food I like, and yeah so I've been into vegetables and eating well for a long time and and I realize like so many of us who end up in the dunk with this where you know by mid middle age we're really suffering and struggling with just keeping our lives going. but if you look back, you know some of this started long ago, and i I've now really believed that the reason I needed these glasses in tenth grade and they turned into progressive lenses at age twenty or twenty one Like I really can't see anything, you know. I really believe that was me pigging out on these high oxalate foods. So I've been a food geek. I wanted to go to um, study nutrition because I figured out by twelve that the way we live affects our health. And wouldn't it be cool to know what to choose so you can have that full, long, healthy, productive, happy life where you weren't a patient hardly ever. You know, that would be the ideal thing for me. And I'm sure there's others out there who are interested in that. So I've been. Trying to eat well and know what I'm doing for freaking ever. And it hasn't worked out. It's not worked out too well. And then, you know, it's a long story of like different struggles with arthritis and fatigue. I think one of my worst symptoms over the years has been fatigue and, and brain fog and really struggling to think and concentrate. And so it is kind of a miracle that I could pull off a book. <laughs> especially when it took so much research, you know, in my research years, I, I wish I still spent every day reading research because I, I love it. Thinking about our biology and physiology and how oxalates are messing that up is really fascinating. Um, and you know, just to understand the mechanisms behind it, but just to you know this is a real phenomenon. You know, I spent every Sunday afternoon at the medical library for years. Um, and I still have a room full of papers everywhere and, and two shelves of notebooks and papers because I many times I can't help but print them out. <laughs> you can't have all 6,000 articles. But anyway, I've been reaching for an understanding and then trying to like put all the pieces together and make it somehow understandable to normal people who don't geek out in the library. <laughs> that was my big challenge to myself. How do I do that? And and it sounds like from the feedback I'm getting from readers is that I've achieved where I get to jam in a bunch of science so we can, we can um, invite people who want to understand the science to, to take this seriously and give the regular folk, you know, like a true explanation of how this could be. So since our culture completely denies, this is a thing and, and somehow make it a readable book. And it took a lot, like I jammed the last two months before I turned in my manuscript, I struggled with how to jam it down within sort of the page limit that the publisher set for me. And, um, and they didn't have to change a lot in the editing process. So in, in, they had to coach me in the beginning, like how to come up with, you know, come up with something when person opens a book, they might see themselves on the page. And I like, you know so and p- talk about symptoms up front so people can be like yeah i have that problem yeah i have that problem so that was the main coaching from the editors to so c- c- do more of a magazine sort of explain the simple thing quickly with symptoms and so on up front and so i'm really gratified that people find it readable they're jamming through this book and reading it in a couple of days and i'm like wow that's exactly what i wanted to happen so I guess all that <laughs> no personal life and just working all the time is working yeah,
1: out. It, so it, it cool. is a really fantastic read. And folks should know that, you know, for those of, that are joining, and thank you for joining that have not, don't know my story. I was uh, vegetarian for decades and then vegan for a good six years before. And around the fifth year, my health went off a cliff, which I now know was due to oxalate eating. And I, I literally did not think I was, is going to be around much longer. Every symptom in your chart that's in the book, I think I had 11 out of the 13 um, that are the the known, you know, this is a pretty much a guarantee that you have oxalate toxicity. And um, I was depressed, I was scared, I was losing weight rapidly, um, brain fogged, lost my job, COVID hit, and I found Sally's presentation, lost seasonality and the overconsumption of plants. And Something even clicked in my brain, bogged mind at the time that said I could have been doing this all incorrectly. And God bless you, Sally, for having that, because I don't know where I would be today, honestly. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, wrapping our minds around this, this, you know, sort of way that we've been programmed to eat and why it's come to be and why we are thinking that we've got to have all these uh, so-called superfoods on our plates and they're healthy for us. But... The book is just an unbelievable resource now for folks, um, and you know, as well as going back and listening to all your podcasts, Sally. I know if, for those that are joining us that are new to this oxalate space, I just wanted to give folks a little bit of an overview of what oxalates are. We know that they're basically weapons for plants, which are you talk about in chapter two. Um, why do the plants themselves produce these oxalates? We know they're for predation, but yeah.
2: it's 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 a very easy to produce compound and it it turns out to be really useful to plants in so many ways and they've the botanists don't get a lot of funding you know so so they're lucky when they get funding to study stuff like this so it's pretty cool we do know a fair amount but there's room for a lot more understanding of plants and their use of of oxalates of course plants make thousands and tens of thousands of compounds and chemicals um it's really cool like the the trees And and many plants have to discard excess calcium because they grow in calcium-rich material. Soil is often very high in calcium. And calcium is such an important molecule for life that helps cells work, and cells... Uh, have to very carefully control how much calcium is inside of them and how much is outside of them and it, it's really critical uh, Ion molecule nutrient they need but if too much is bad And so they have to excrete it. So they sort of poop calcium and the way they do that is they build Calcium oxalate crystals and they put it out in the bark and these crystals are like little shields like little um, shingles you might say that help protect them from beetles boring into their precious vascular tissue which is right underneath the bark the trees and and plants their vascular tissue is right on the surface of the tree just under the bark and so by putting this blocky crystal in the bark it's a great way to poop out the excess calcium but it's brilliant way to protect themselves from damage from boring animals and it turns out that that's also so useful in a seed that if you put little tiny blocks of uh, calcium oxalate crystals because the stuff is hard like glass they use little chips of quartz no beetle can get through there and it also creates a nice crispy hard shell in the outer rings of the seed so in the seed coat you've got that firm protection but you also have a way to store calcium we're not discarding it now we need that calcium so when the seed germinates it can use a calcium as a cofactor on enzymes and build a new plant. So it starts to germinate. And when you get this germination started, you break apart the oxalate and the calcium. And the calcium is useful. And the oxalate, well, the plants know how to deal with it. But, of course, if you sprout your foods, there's a chance that you've turned insoluble calcium oxalate crystals into soluble oxalic acid so you're eating the crystals or the acid both in a lot of these plant foods the crystals don't get absorbed generally they're just indigestible uh but it's like eating sandpaper (laughs) it's not really great but then that acid that can just float in the fluids and get right in between the cells of the gut into and stomach into your bloodstream and that's not good for us so plants that's just two things okay so they use it to protect their seeds and to hold on to and store calcium and they use it to discard calcium they also can take that calcium oxalate crystal because they have the enzymes to turn it into calcium oxalate and to break it back down back and forth they can do all this stuff we don't have the enzymes to break down the oxalate at all let alone the calcium oxalate which is tricky too but the plants can turn it into oxalic acid into hydrogen peroxide that's a great weapon against funguses. So in the leaves, the leaves of plants are constantly being attacked by funguses and other disease organisms and other things that want to eat them. And so by producing hydrogen peroxide, you lower the uh, chance that molds are pathologically infectious of the plant. Um, and in in shade plants, they use it as a way to make these fancy disco balls that collect light inside the cells. So when you don't have a lot of light, you need to capture every photon of light and not let it escape. So by having this disco ball inside your cells, it lets that light photon bounce around inside the leaf and it can use all the energy it can extract from this shady light they're getting. And then in desert plants, they need it to store the carbon that's in oxalate. It's just two carbons, but it's a great way to store carbon and then instead in the daytime, when they need to do their photosynthesis, they've got carbon on board, and they don't have to breathe the carbon dioxide, because the air in the desert is so dry during the daytime that that might petrify them and dry them out. So they can breathe while their stomas closed So it's like having your nose plugged in the summer in the sun, but you still have oxygen in your system because you're you're for us it's oxygen for a plant it's carbon dioxide.
1: And that's another thing that's great about the book is there is some sciencey stuff in there, but you make it so approachable that even someone with my marketing <laughs> mind can, can wrap their head around. Um, I'm going to jump just a little bit forward and, and still talk about the chapter three and four. But the, what is of great interest to me, Sally, and you wrote about is, you know, chapter four talks about toxic delusions and troubling trends. And this is a really big one for me because it talks to how we ended up substituting traditional foods for foods that are inferior in flavor and why we headed this way to putting more of these toxic plants, which we were just talking about, on our plates. And, you know, the, the phytonutrient inconsistencies. Um, and you talk in a previous podcast about the Victory Garden and that being sort of a seminal moment for things. Is, um, I wonder if you could talk to that a little bit. That was always interesting to me.
2: Yeah, we, we um, really pumped up. We've really, it's been about 400 years we've been pumping up the idea that we can live on plant foods heavily and it (laughs) there was a lot of whack jobs and and social reformers in the 1800s but then as we got into the 1900s it really became about world domination (laughs) in western culture because we had these major global wars going on and they were quite tragic world war one was devastating so many people were slaughtered in the war including a lot of Americans. And it was really distressing. And at home, here you are with shortages and problems and worry and your, your fiance just got murdered, you know, in a war. And so you you have to keep the domestic scene um, hopeful and, and pulling in the right direction so that whatever sacrifices they have to make, where they have to, you know, melt down their pots so they can make our, you know, uh, trucks and, and armor and things for the soldiers. Like, literally, people really had to think about the fact we are in a war together. It's not like today's wars where, oh, we send off people we don't know to get killed, and it doesn't affect our daily lives. So governments, the the um, British government and the, the American government, the US government, put out propaganda about trying to get people to grow their own food, to lower the pressure for trucks and shipping and all of that, because it, all the resources were going into those these wars. So the victory garden, yay! We can win the war if we're willing to grow our random vegetables in our backyards, and that's gonna do it for us. That's gonna make the difference. And it fit in this whole pattern of sacrifice and working towards something and being involved in the war effort. And it kept people busy and it kept them feeling like uh, hopeful about the war. It, it, interestingly, in World War Two, in Britain, they invented characters to get people to like carrots. They didn't even like carrots at all. They didn't want to eat them. Um, But we developed a Dr. Carrot character in in England to explain how did these bombers manage to hit these German targets at night? How did they do that? Well, they had developed new technologies, of radar systems, so you could bomb at night. But you didn't want to let the Germans know about your new technology, so you told your citizens that it was because we had a special kind of super duper carrot that helped the eyes of these bombing pilots, the, the Royal Air Force, bomb Germany sites, you know. So like, the carrot became the symbol of healthy eating after World War II. It was the thing that made you awesome, <laughs> a, a superhero for the war because you ate the special carrot. So carrot was elevated from a food no one wanted to eat. To something yeah. that saved and
1: them. then of course for my my generation i can recall <laughs> vividly growing up wop- watching popeye the sailor man and his spinach fiasco <laughs> and um you know oh boy Pope, boy was popeye a liar <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and you know it's interesting because that uh, author really i don't think he had yeah. a real agenda nutritionally but it was an era when, when that was being developed, where there was real concern about um, nutritional deficiencies and an iron deficiency, because there's a lot of poor people at the time that were trying to live on cornmeal and biscuits and stuff, and they really weren't well. And people were hoping that the spinach had iron in it. So somehow spinach got connected with iron, because in a chemical test, it seems like it's got a lot of iron in it. And we don't know how bioavailable it is, because we're not paying attention, but somehow spinach got connected with um this kind of iron was a symbolism and it probably fit with world war one like it was our ability to produce these machines made of iron and of course we have a big iron industry between you know canada and the u.s a lot of the great Lakes cities were were iron producing cities you know we would get the raw materials and ship them across the great lakes and make iron so steel mill towns you know uh, but buffalo, for example. And so iron was writ large in our mind, I think, around the time that that Popeye was born. Um, But we've then, since then, in the marketing era of the last 40 years, used Popeye to market spinach, uh, which is just so tragic because we knew by the mid-30s that spinach was dangerous, especially for children, that you should never give spinach to children because it causes devastating deficiency diseases. Oh, yes. Um, I
1: think there was a really great, you called it the wellness elixir in the book. And again, reader or followers please go get this book it's part biology part psychology
2: anybody out there who who has the book you got the book
1: yeah so yes. let us know yeah. unbelievable there it is again folks um and part culture that's the wellness elixir and it, it's so true and then you know going into flowing it
2: in- you know when i was uh, first getting into the working scene I, it was really big for cancer patients to juice carrots carrot juicing was going to save them from their cancer and it never worked, but it's been such a culture now. And that was in the eight eighties, the late eighties and early nineties. I mean, the juicing of carrots and and like this connection between vegetables and some kind of super power for health are culturally there, but there's really never been science. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, and that, that goes into chapter six, Sally, like, why don't we know about this? You talk about the improbable combination of circumstances that Dr. David Fassett talked about, and which is, unbelievable, how, how? why now knowing what we know, are, are doctors and you know, all those that are learned ignoring what we now know? What, what's happening here? Why, why are so many folks left floundering? Why did you have to write this book?
2: <laughs> That's one of my big questions. And it turns out that the, the warnings and the, the data that shows that this is a problem, very rarely gets serious follow-up with serious funding. Like it really has attracted big brains with the ability to get the funding and collect the colleagues to really look into it. It's never been a sexy career move. And so much what happens in science is fattest career move. So I don't know if you're old enough to remember 1970, I think it was Richard Nixon declared a war on cancer. That opened up the federal coffers for funding cancer research. And we've been had lots of room, you can even go to the DOD to get funding for breast cancer research. You know, and then, then nonprofits got us running in races and wearing ribbons and all this stuff to make money. And it really pays the salaries of the people who run the nonprofit, but it hasn't really moved the needle on cancer at all. Um, but it distracts the, the ambitious scientist goes where the money is. Never been there for oxalates, even though we've, it, there's lots of evidence that we should. And now it's less likely than ever that you would send the brains and the money down the oxalate trail because now the trail has to lead to a genetic intervention, a pill, some kind of profitable device. If you can't create a profitable product out of the science, it's not worth doing anymore. And there's no profit to be had to tell people you shouldn't be pigging out on spinach, almonds, and dark chocolate it's too cheap. Like you can give away the answer for free. This,
1: this is it. Um, and I think, you know, Sally, it segues a little perfectly. And as I talk to folks, how perfectly the books laid out an amazing job of doing it, but the next chapter talks to confusing multitude of symptoms and no good tests. And I think this is, you know, part of the reason why these doctors maybe don't sort of adhere to talking about oxalates because the testing is kind of problematic, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's very challenging. You, you talk about the um, organic acids tests, but even those can be problematic because it depends on if we uh, have just eaten the time, how much we have coming out through dumps, et cetera. Isn't, isn't that the way it works?
2: It really is. I had a a, a organic acid urine test in 2009 that showed I was perfect. I had zero (laughs) oxalate problems whatsoever. None. You know, like it doesn't. It doesn't have the capacity to do that. The the body is way more sophisticated than anyone anyone's giving it credit for, and it's carefully managing this oxalate in your system, and it's not leaving it hanging around in your bloodstream. You can't do a blood test. It, It. when you're overloaded with it, it tends to burst it out in little bursts and give the kidneys a rest. And, and you have to catch the right little burst. And so if you get a test of any kind that says you're fine, don't believe it necessarily. And it might be true that you're fine for now or for today, but it doesn't give you permission to overeat a toxin. And this is the weird thing. Like, it, there's really no danger in lowering your exposure to a toxin if you do it soon enough. If you wait until you're filled up to the brim with it, now you got a little complicated situation there because you're carrying the toxin around with you all through your very tender tissues, like your bone marrow, which produces your immune cells and your blood cells. Like, whoo, that should matter. And there's been such bad science in just acknowledging this accumulation problem. The fact that so many people have oxalates in their thyroid gland is proof that we accumulate oxalate. We've never gotten good at really looking for oxalate. You cannot to this day ask your, say your dermatologist to take this chunk of stuff they take off your skin and have it looked at for oxalate content. You can't do it. It's such a specialty. You have to know which lab to send it to in some foreign city. Like in my city, you'd have to send it You know two states north to have someone look at it but they need to look at it right away and it has to be preserved just right and it's very hard to do that if you're gonna truck it across the country let alone just sit it in the fridge over the weekend until the pathology department gets time to look at that sample so it's a mess because we've just chosen to ignore oxalate and continue to do so Um, and and the way you start presenting with your symptoms They're very generalized. The body has only so many ways of complaining and it's chronic inflammation and it's energy problems in cells that produce this like weird combination of problems. And it's very different in each person that does not fit in a model of, Oh, one specialty, one body part, one set of possible problems, one tiny set of ways of defining those problems and limited ways of treating them like that this isn't how it works when you're basically poisoning every system of the body and you know, you might get a a little bit of blood in a urine test that you can't see with the eye, but the urine test might say, Oh, you got hematuria. You might have some bad sleep or some achy neck. Most doctors don't see that combination of bad sleep, achy neck and blood in the urine is precisely the way this thing starts showing up in some percentage of us.
1: I, ran back and forth to my general practitioner because i was scared as i mentioned to you i was dropping a ton of weight i had severe gut dysbiosis candida infection brain fog my hair was falling out my skin was cracking my nails were coming off i couldn't think straight i lost Yep.
2: these are all classic signs of poisoning and deficiency you either have some serious deficiency or you're being poisoned and with oxalate it's both but modern doctors don't ever think like that. They think disease strikes you from heaven, is a random lightning bolt in your life that's just genetic roulette. It's ridiculous the
1: way they're and, and, you know, they ran, of course, all the blood work, and my, my, my blood work was, quote-unquote, fine, so there must be something wrong with you. So what they did was <laughs> they, they sent me away with an antidepressant. Now, I was actually full of anxiety because of my dysbiosis and everything else going on in my life.
2: And because of correct. your brain being inflamed correct enslaved, i was depressed i
1: was anxious and yeah i mean yes, you can you see by my photos folks if you go to my main page and see the ones i have pinned there it was i was not a happy camper it it is really really serious and it just speaks to this uh, you know the, how folks are getting trapped in this space and how grateful i was to find something after having literally spent my life savings trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I did protocol after protocol and doctor's visits with copays, And then this all made sense and it was as simple as swapping out a few foods. (laughs) That is it. And I say, God bless you, Sally, for getting this information out there because I can only imagine the multitude of other folks have done the exact same thing and you did it yourself going back and forth for many years, correct?
2: It could not be more tragic. I mean, it doesn't have to be many of us. You are enough. You know, like your one story is enough. And you know, it just really disturbs me when someone says, oh, so-and-so eats them, they're fine, this can't be real. You know what? (laughs) People smoke for a lifetime and don't always die of lung disease either. That doesn't mean we all should be allowed to smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke. We still restrict cigarettes on airplanes and in workplaces and indoors, because it's serious. But we can't think that same way when it comes to the devastation of being poisoned by a known toxin. It's ridiculous, You're, you have been a victim of a culture that's out of its, you know, that's just broken.
1: On the agenda, we now have, you know, uh, was it, plant-based Mondays in schools for kids. And again, with a lot, with these high oxalate foods, people, the nut milks that you talk about in the book, that are being substituted for regular dairy and we know how important calcium is. I mean this I was a classic person. I was the poster child for someone to go down and nearly die. And I'll segue into, you know, going back to chapter three, how much is too much. And one of your one of your great quotes, and there's so many in the book, says death is a crummy standard for defining harm. <laughs> it really is, because I nearly died. It's not an exaggeration, folks. I nearly died. I did not think I would be around much longer at the end there. I was telling my wife, I didn't think, I don't know if I can figure this out, it's, and it was really scary. So if you could talk to, talk to that a little bit and how much is too much and what happens with people in the, it's unbelievable.
2: Well, then too much becomes even more too much once you go on this dairy-free diet and you've got this chronic leaky gut. You're just like open mesh for oxalate to get into your system. And the more, the longer you have it, the more inflammation you have, the more your liver starts producing oxalate too. So you've got this rush of oxalate coming in. Your whole system is now inflamed. You're producing more oxalate from the liver as well. And your poor kidneys are starting to break down and they are, their ability to excrete it is intermittent. So the body is in chronic sequestration, self protection mode. Like, we got to get this out of the way. We can't have a heart attack. We can't have a heart attack. Like, If you leave too much in the bloodstream, you're going to have a heart attack. The body knows this. You're going to have kidney failure. That would ruin everybody's party. You know, like every other cell of the body knows. If the kidneys and the heart aren't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so they're willing to do the sacrifice, and this stuff ends up in your bones. But in the meantime, your ability to produce energy and maintain cells and maintain tissues is broken. And it is deadly. People do die of oxalate poisoning. They can die quickly in a sudden rush of too much oxalate or yep. they can die slowly and,
1: over time. You know, you talk about how the diet aggravates the overload. Um, and then as you mentioned, people don't realize that the liver would kick in. People think as, as the, of the liver. And I did when in my plant-based days with all the quote unquote detoxes that I did, I, and I, I fell victim to it. So I, I spent, I can tell you one particular protocol was in the thousands of dollars and they were all plant-based seeds to get your guts and your liver going and it was thousands of pills a month and it nearly killed me but people are thinking of the liver as this detox organ when in fact it's really not it's endogenously, endogenously producing extra oxalates which is incredible to me when I learned that.
2: <laughs> yeah we're told that your just your detox is slow that's why you've got this oxalate problem are you kidding? <laughs> the liver has no power to remove oxalate it only has power to make more oxalate oh. and <laughs> so eating a lot of oxalate actually wears out your liver because it has to use a lot of glutathione to protect itself it's getting a hundred percent of all the oxalate that gets out of your intestinal tract goes straight to the liver very quickly and the liver is amazing at producing glutathione and it protects itself it doesn't Get immediate damage. All over time, I'm sure this is contributing to fatty liver and, and chemical sensitivity because you, you're running out of your regular detox capacity for the chemical detox because you're using up your antioxidant capacity in the liver for just liver survival. So your liver's in survival mode. So it doesn't have time to worry about the shoe polish and the other things you're poisoning yourself with. It can't doesn't have anything left to give, and that's one of the one of the symptoms. Not everybody gets it, but it's definitely a sign of liver stress. Um, but yeah, your liver isn't, it's not about fixing your liver. (laughs) It's about stop wrecking your liver by stop eating these foods.
1: Even in the naturopathic healing realm and folks like Dr. Linus Pauling is the vitamin C issue and taking, multitudes of vitamin C because I, again, hit the perfect storm with COVID and thought, I can't be this sick and then get COVID. So I'm just gonna listen to these guys. And I was popping vitamin C pills in the multiple of thousands per day, as well as going down to a local clinic and getting a Myers cocktail into my vein. And Sally, let me tell you, I never forget this. When I went to get that Myers cocktail, the first one after being so oxalate toxic, I had the drip. And I remember telling the nurse that I feel I'm feeling worse, not better. And she goes, oh, wow, because it's a 45 minute procedure at least to get all the vitamin C in your veins. I literally was so stiff and so inflamed after the procedure. I had to sit there and get help to the car because it, you know, going directly in your veins, the vitamin C, which converts over. As we now know, thank you for again highlighting that for me to oxalate. How does how does that all work?
2: What I want to know is what did they put in your chart when that happened? Nothing. They, they should have put adverse reaction and write down the symptoms and monitored you for another hour. Maybe offered you a Benadryl or something make sure you weren't having some kind of allergic meltdown. Did they do any of those things for you? No. No. So that's not health care. That's extracting stuff from your pocket. And that really disturbs me. And so there's no record for people who do these vitamin civs about the adverse effects even when they're so obvious in front of your face it's not even yeah. in your patient record people do not see how they're being poorly taken care of yeah. like
1: <laughs> i i 100 agree with you and not only that, it gets worse. Um, that same naturopathic doctor who gave me the IV drip and then saw me get into this almost, I had to put a brace on my hand from carpal tunnel like symptoms my, my fingers couldn't unclench, but then suggested that I needed right. I needed collagen to heal my gut and go take the tub of collagen and start mixing it in my spinach smoothies that will help heal my gut and I'll, I'll be a-okay after that. And then again, thank you for this. You, I found out that these collagen supplements are again converting over into oxalates in the body uh, i did it all sally
2: <laughs> too much of that hydroxyproline that's in this uh, yeah this connective tissue collagen becomes oxalate too much vitamin c so you can between leaky gut and these kinds of things just you know leaky gut taking a, a thousand milligram when i was a kid my grandmother loved those chewable 1000 tablets that were kind of sweet mm-hmm. tart like they're t- kind of yummy like candy she would always have a big jar of that and offer it to us as an innocent little fun thing to do. Like we use vitamin C so casually and willing to hand them to children and children like me is like, Oh, it's a healthy thing. I'll take it. (laughs) Right. It's, it's unbelievable really. And it has been hard to to see this because the physiology under the hood of our bodies is complex and oxalate is a sneaky bugger. It's hard to study. This whole conversion of vitamin C to oxalate has not been studied enough. There's they for a long time they didn't know how much of it was just degeneration of vitamin C naturally without enzymes, and how much of it is enzymatic, where the enzymes of the body are turning it into into oxalate. But excess vitamin C does you no good whatsoever, regardless of Linus Pauling's being adored. I don't care how much you love him excess vitamin C over like 400 milligrams a day is of no value to a normal healthy person.
1: Sally, just very quickly, I want to touch on a couple of the ubiquitous ones that are known. I mean, people can look at the cover of your book. Um, For me, my, God bless me, I decided to put them all in one smoothie And just blend them up. But, you know, things like, (laughs) I did. I I, I can laugh now. I I think when when we first met, I showed you the doctor that I found online and her view on oxalates. And she was the one that prescribed these smoothies. And it was spinach and it was kale and it was almond milk and chia seeds. And I'm not just talking, it was a cup, two cups of chia seeds in these things. And if, and and turmeric because it's anti inflammatory blend it all up and pound it down. And that's when my health really, I almost died. I mean, I started bleeding from my bowels, losing weight rapidly. That was when I thought the end was the closest after that protocol.
2: You know, the consuming public is convinced that this is so right because they get only one side of the story. They're getting a skewed marketing worldview. And anyone who is demonstrating that this is not working for them is completely canceled out, you're invisible. We've all been invisible, and this is the one hope I have, is that this book will let us no longer be canceled and invisible. As a community, if we share our experiences, and and honestly, just the reviews of the book is the most public forum we've ever had in the history of mankind, where those of us who can see what oxalates done to our health can say so publicly in a way, in a place where they're trying to sell books. I mean, the author honestly doesn't get any money from a book, but the people who sell it get some money, sort of. I mean, Amazon itself, the delivery company, isn't considered a profitable company at all. I mean, like, but somehow we have to crank out products to keep the economy going. But really, just the reviews are already so touching. The folks who have taken the time to read and do a review And share from the heart about how important this is to their lives this is the first time we've really done this this publicly and we can stop canceling your experience because it's not just you
1: Sally that is an amazing point I liken this to a spot that we can all plant a flag in that is common ground for everyone because prior to your hard work and writing this book there was nothing really out there that summed up everything that needs to be said and we can go oh okay you you need help with a particular symptom go check the book you don't believe the science go check the book (laughs) you know so again so grateful for you for putting this out sally very quickly i'm so conscious of your time and i want to make sure because i know there will be folks on this live today that have found you found me for whatever reason and have deduced that they are oxalate toxic and just want a couple of pointers in the right direction um, one thing that I, you often talk about and I now realize is that people want to biohack their way out of uh, oxalate. But as we mentioned, oxalate forces patience and discipline. And God bless you again, because when I went carnivore, because as most of us with this, who have had this vegan mindset then realized we've been duped, go, well, I'm just going to put it all to the side because I'll feel way more healthy. We, we later find out that oxalate accumulates mm-hmm. and then starts yeah. coming out as the body heals. So how can folks help these dumping symptoms? What are some tips for them?
2: Well, you know, this, we could do a whole half an hour discussion about this. And I think we as a community need to really hone in on this very issue. So you're, again, you're just a genius genius. So, you know, it's, if you turn your family low oxalate and, and you're not paying attention to the fact that this is a chronic problem where you've got it in your bones and tendons and so on, and that by going really low, now the body's trying to release it from tissues and clean you up. It doesn't want to keep this garbage hanging around your tissues. Your family members could suddenly run into severe autoimmune problems. All of a sudden, they're having a big autoimmune meltdown or having kidney problems or having aches and pains or arthritis and and energy crashes. And they don't know why, because no one in the family is remembering that if you've been on a slow oxalate diet, you could start to make yourself sick from the inside because of the old oxalates. So think back to your family history. If you're helping your wife or your daughter or your aunt or your brother, think back. Like, do you remember the days when we used to make homemade almond milk all the time, guys? Do you remember this? Like, we're all oxalate poison. So you cannot stay on a really low carnivore or not most people if they stay too long too low too long they'll start to have problems and for many people seem to do well if they add back in some oxalate to their diet add back in tea a couple bites of potato like add back in the and i have it in the back of the book so really seriously like no one has ever invented a dosing chart before me like so many things are totally new in the world in this book so and it's not perfect because you know i wrote this the whole year or better ago to finish the book a year ago um in the back of the book it's like 288 estimates for dosing use these higher oxalate foods don't think a bite of cauliflower is doing people like they they eat a few bites of a low oxalate food and they're like oh i added oxalate, it didn't work are you kidding <laughs> no we need to punch the body we need to like hear it Oxalates coming in! Oxalates coming in! Shut down operations! Shut it down now! Quit all that cleanup. We got more coming in, people! We need to hear it! Like the, the gut, I don't know who's reading that. Is it the blood cells? Is it the vascular tissue? Is it the gut? But there's really smart people inside your body. Like, you know whether you taste, smell things, you see things, it's a way of sensing the world around you. You have internal sensors going on, and they're hearing, Oh, oh there you go, you're back in that blackberry patch again, are you, you turkey? Now we got to stop healing here. Like whatever. So like it's hearing you. And so I talk about it in my article about lost seasonality. Basically, if you go too low, you've hit this winter metabolism where you're living on hunted caribou and no broccoli. There's very little broccoli growing on an iceberg, right? So <laughs> traditionally every winter we would clean out. That's why the body knows what to do. It's like, oh, thank God winter came and we clean it out. And honestly, I've noticed even the moon cycle, the winter full moon in December, a lot of us started heavy clearing symptoms then. So even the season of winter, I think we're clued into time to clean out, time to get rid of stuff. It's sort of the detox season, actually, winter time for the body. So the dosing chart will, will point you towards using tea and other things to show you how ridiculous spinach is because 30 milligrams of oxalate is like two teaspoons of spinach it's like you know even a baby eats more than that don't give it to a baby um but really if if people don't feel well on carnivore or don't feel well on low oxalate it's probably because your body is vigorously trying to heal you and that healing is a wonderful thing to celebrate. But if it's making you really inflamed, it's dangerous to stay inflamed with the oxalate clearing. So we have to moderate this. So I make an attempt to try to explain this in a sort of rational way. It's a tough thing to teach and explain, it's a tough thing to remember. And that's why you have to hang with the community, folks. Stick with us. Be, let's build this community where this is an understood concept or you're striving to understand it so we can help each other. Because if you've made your brother sick, because he believed you and put the omelet, almond nut he was doing, you, he could be complaining later about gout and backache and eye styes and like fatigue and, and weird days, you know, where he's not like throwing that baseball like he used to or whatever. You need to let him know, wait a minute, maybe you've got an oxalate issue. And look for the signs of that. For many people, it's the crystals in the urine that makes your urine look kind of cloudy. So if it's not super clear, clear as a bell, like Lake Tao, you can see to the bottom, then that might be crystals in your urine. Crystals in your eyes or just grit in the morning, tartar on the teeth, crystalline stools, hemorrhoids, burning stools, burning urine, nighttime urination, large volume urination. All of these can be signs that your system is shooting oxalates out and stressing out your system. So,
1: One of the interesting things for me is you talk about um... – uh, MCAS in the book, and also interstitial interstitial. How do you say that? Interstitial cystitis. Say that three times fast. Oh my cystitis. goodness. Cystitis. Um, but, but specifically,
2: <laughs> you wouldn't believe how easy to trip over yeah, words when you're trying to with, read it. But with
1: mast cell activation, <laughs> um, so many folks are in the dark with mast cell activation syndrome, and as you know, all these aversions to food. But ultimately, it's probably coming down to the oxalates, that's you know affecting the gut lining. Is that is that correct? How does that how does that happen?
2: Well oxalate anywhere in the body it's in the bladder uh, so you have mast cells in your bladder so it can be there any mast cells tend to stick around in areas where the body's encountering bacteria you know in the eyes and the surface and so on and um they're right near the nerves too mast cells hang out right around the nerves so when they get going you usually end up with some kind of neurological problem which could be the depression the anxiety yeah. Bad coordination, bad mood, irritability, uh, it, all kinds of anything that requires a nerve, you, you know, muscle twitches, that's nerve overfiring because the electrolytes aren't right and they're like overstimulating. And you can get these, these um, sort of tremors or misfiring of muscles because the nerves are toxic. So that can show up as constipation or as diarrhea. They're both a form of like muscle dysfunction because of the nerve damage. And the mast cells can be a big part of that puzzle what are mast cells reacting to? They're reacting to cell damage. They're reacting to crystals. So the oxalates causing cell damage, the cells start spilling out things and getting uh, pro-inflammatory distress where they're, they're putting out free radicals. And cells, if they get really sick, they'll start leaking ATP too. And this turns on inflammation and turns and the mast cells are busy trying to protect you from problems. So They're like little knights on little white horses. And the minute they detect a problem, they're off to the races trying to help you and they're making you feel like garbage because they're trying to save the day because it's like they're turning on a little war, So you have this little army of mast cells and we want the army to like chill, like let's be on rest. Let's not constantly be at the front. But the oxalates create this enemy to the immune system all the time. So you have this resident enemy and when you're clearing it out, it's running through these tissues, like the gut and the and the bladder and the urethra, that have mast cells. They're like, hey, this is damaging our tissues, our cells, and they're. It's like having a rash inside your body parts, you know, and it so it turns it on. So, mast cells don't get pissed off over nothing. It's actually the enemy of these crystals, micro particulate garbage in your urine and in your cells and in your body.
1: Another sort of similar question is. A lot of folks tend to have these benign cysts in their body, and I'm one of them. I have a couple of cysts that formed in my gallbladder, and I now realize it's probably from the oxalate in, in the bile in there, because um, one formed, ironically, because I was having it checked with my GP visits that were costing me a fortune, but they did find the first cyst. Then I went back when I was so severely sick with oxalate poisoning, and another one had formed. Do In your estimation, do you think a lot of people that have these cysts on their bodies, are these um, calcium oxalate crystals just forming and subcutaneously and then forming these hard lumps. I know you had an instance where they were trying to um, inject you and they hit a crystal and almost broke the needle.
2: Yeah, so you you definitely get these crystals forming in tissues and the body's immune system is trying to get rid of it and it'll form these granulomas and granulomas are this collection of immune cells coming together trying to eat the crystal and break it down and it, it puts out cytokines and things that cause more immune. So, so it's like this big state fair party. Like everyone's bringing themselves to this one centered, like this crystal and it blows up into this cystic thing. And though some people are very prone to that cystic. That's sort of a, a granuloma, kind of an autoimmune, a, a type of autoimmune tendency where you get cystic. Um, and it is, uh, causes proliferation of scar tissue and sort of a cancer-like growth. That's not really cancer. It's this, Promoting this extra cell peripheral. It's really ironic because the oxalates cause energy crisis. It makes it hard for you to grow normal cells, but then it creates this sort of tumor like cells that go crazy and become these cysts. And we see this all the time breast cysts, cysts anywhere in the body start disappearing on a low oxalate diet.
1: Can oxalates cause? I know the second one's for sure: high blood pressure and tinnitus. I mean, I know tinnitus. I still have some resi- residual tinnitus, but it's in- improved immensely since going low ox.
2: Low we definitely see in the literature a lot of hypertension problems in people, and also in the primary hyperoxaluria world, you see a lot of low blood pressure. So, both hypertension and hypotension, chronic hyper I was one of these people who's. Blood sugar or blood pressure is so low all the time. I can't spin or dance or move around in any kind of way because I I'll get dizzy and fall over. (laughs) That's all much better. I have much closer to normal blood. It's still considered pretty low, but it's it's the kind of low that's the healthier low. It doesn't make me dizzy like I can move around there. But hypertension for sure. I mean, it's and we don't even fully understand all of it. But supposedly the kidneys are in charge of your blood pressure, and, and they're in charge of so many things. They do a lot. Um, but with oxalate if any any marker of any kind is too high or too low chronically both it's just keeping you from proper regulation and I see it in my clients like crazy where they had it it goes away or they get it while they're dumping when it comes up because it's it's probably screwing up um, magnesium and things in the local tissue so this is a concept people don't really get it's like a problem electrolyte disturbance and a deficiency of some kind which may be transient, can be happening in one little area, in the area where you've got the inflammation, where that cyst is, or where you've got stuff in your jaw or your ear or wherever. And so, right there is where you get the dysfunction. And so, suddenly you've got magnesium loss, and now you're got yeah. tinnitus. You know, so um, it comes and goes. Like I would get a mild version. I've never had the kind that drives you crazy. I get, you know, high pitched thing that would hang around for a while but usually not more than an hour or two and not so bad that I couldn't kind of block it out
1: and and like you I didn't sleep for months and months and months my body was waking up constantly every hour on the hour through anxiety and because
2: the nerves can't settle down because their electrolytes are so disturbing inability to get the nerves to settle down they're in this hyper mode because they can't control their electrolytes
1: does oxalate have any play in blood sugar regulation in terms of diabetes or hypoglycemia? Does it have a play in there at all?
2: Definitely. There's several researchers that think it's um, related to insulin resistance and it it, there's, there's not enough research. You know, from a research standpoint, there's like no research. There's only like, I don't know, 15 researchers who say this is connected at the most. And nobody's followed up with really looking at, well, how would this work? It's really going to be tricky to figure it out. But clearly oxalate is a, a pretender, it's small enough molecule that it looks like pyruvate and other little molecules that are part of the energy cycle of cells. And it sits on the enzymes that do certain energy things for you. And one of those enzymes is the one that makes glucose. So if you have hypoglycemia, it's because you're not able to get enough glucose back into your bloodstream, because these enzymes aren't working right, is one of the reasons. And uh, the regulation, the higher regulation, like how your thyroid's working and your pituitary gland and your adrenal glands and your hormone levels, they could all be tanking. Oxalate causes them all to hypofunction, although you get both. Again, once again, you get hyperthyroid from oxalate and hypothyroid, um, but they, their regulation tanks, So people go back and forth between the two. And so with all those master glands growing up and the enzymes being blocked with oxalate, you could definitely get into some serious blood sugar issues, which is why I often have to get people who've been on carnivore to get some carbs back in their system because if you stay chronically keto and you're struggling to make your blood sugar, you're gonna have low muscle glycogen. All of that's making it harder to sleep. It's it's just more stress. We insist on this thing, harder is better, harder is better. No, we have to figure out what's stressing your system and start being kind to you and your body.
1: Now that we've told folks that sweet potatoes are out, (laughs) spinach is out, almonds are out, almond milk is out. How about coffee for folks that love their coffee, decaf and regular?
2: Coffee doesn't have oxalate in it, really. It's very low. So from an oxalate standpoint, you're good. Coffee's prone to problems. You know, it's got natural things in it that are a little harsh. It's very acidic. If you use more alkaline water, to mineral water, to make your coffee, that would be less acidic. Put a little potassium bicarbonate in your water that you use to make coffee. That'll be a little easier on your system. Um, but, you know, if you're going to do coffee, get good coffee that's not mold contaminated or anything like that. Um, some people, you know, they tolerate the caffeine, but if your liver's really stressed, you may not be tolerating the caffeine so well. Um, so, yeah, coffee doesn't have oxalate. That's not, even though researchers claim it does, it's in headlines on certain articles from the medical version People yell, oh, coffee, coffee's high in oxalate. It's not. And kale, too, is really not that high in oxalate, not compared to the really bad ones. It's three times higher than lettuce and, and regular yep. cabbage, but kale is always kale has other problems i don't know why people like it it's like bitter leather (laughs) with strings in it like it's really it's like fibrous and i don't know but kale you can have the kale just please cook these vegetables i mentioned that in the book too
1: if you if you had one meal that you love to eat now on a low ox diet what is something that you really love to eat now i've seen i know you love your fish would it include some of those kippers or sardines
2: yes it would it would indeed funny it 's very weird, I know that 's weird i I figured out in April that I had developed this beef allergy, and so I had to get off the beef because i 've been buying local beef for twenty five years from farmers and really enjoyed making broth and doing organs and liver and beef and all the stuff. so I had to rethink my life and get back to eating fish and so i 'm surprised how happy I am eating seafood um and so you know i actually really enjoy having sardines i eat at least two cans of sardines a day now and the omega-3s have done such great things for my muscles i cannot tell you like it does help you build muscle six months on enough omega-3s from real fish well really i you know in the carnivore world it's like oh beef is real meat and fish is nothing like fish is white so it can't be good like that's insane we really do well on those omega-3s if you're having anxiety and mood issues and you want more beautiful muscles i would include fish for that reason and and if you get away from hyper palatable foods you will find if you get enough butter like, like i gotta make i roast fishes and i i do seafood i i do i can, we have asian stores here so i can get frozen um roe whiting roe and we have a seafood store near us. We have raw oysters at least once a week, if not two or three times a week. And really, have been honing in on the seafood. So we, we've gotten to like that. But I like my cooking. I know how to cook stuff and not overcook it and how to put enough the right amount of salt, right amount of pepper, right amount of fat on it. I like to garnish things with capers and olives. Olives are a high oxalate food, but if you're using three olives in a fish dish – it 's delicious and it's it 's like six milligrams of oxalate it 's not enough to even be dosing your oxalate, so that 's the other thing people forget is that even though these are high oxalate foods like olives, you can still have them occasionally, and it might be you need them um, so, yeah. so it 's hard to say i I still take a picture of everything I eat i i don 't often take the time to put it on face on Instagram anymore just because that's another three minutes of me not eating my food, and fish cools off fast. And even though I preheat my plates, I do not like yes, eating cold. If it's meant to be served hot, do. I do want to eat it hot. <laughs> if I take the time to post it right then and, like, put a little title on it or something, my food is cold. And I'm like, forget it, you guys. I've done enough sacrifice for you. And then later on, who cares about what I ate yesterday? Anyway, someday I'll do a reels of, like, millions of pictures of a million ways to eat fish and sardines and this and that i roasted a duck yesterday and that's delicious and fun and um i've been experimenting with food no one else would eat rabbit and uh luckily with when you buy rabbit it, it gives you the liver rabbits have huge livers and heart and kidneys i love kidneys and so without eating beef anymore i don't get those very much so i am really treasuring the little organs in the rabbit but this is expensive <laughs> like, rabbit's expensive frog legs like i'm like into like now this like gourmet food but not because i have tons of money to spend It's because there's nothing more important than me being able to eat real food and stay on this diet that makes me feel good being off the beef has taken away a lot of back pain has been reversing lichen sclerosis that developed because i was ignoring the beef allergy so it's really important for you to listen to your pain levels because with this Oxalate problem, we tend to get a lot of food sensitivities and a lot of reactivity that continues to sometimes get it gets better for a while But it can if you get into the deep clearing years where your immune system is working hard All those little white knights are fighting for you and working hard Your inflammation stays high your ability to overreact to things and develop an autoimmune relationship with me whether it was a beef is still you're still vulnerable to that for a long time so listen to your pain levels because it might be telling you or the skin health if it's not not oxalate clearing it might be that you're reacting to some food that you used to eat like me and my beef so yeah it's hard to talk about diets in a short answer because i love good food it's a matter of getting the best quality you can and cooking it right um, and finding what works for you but i encourage everyone to take a look at the sardine is a mighty, yes. mighty friend.
1: Sally, what do you like to read on your downtime? Is there anything, is there, what is your favorite reading or films or anything that you like to do? How do you like to, you know, speaking of relaxing, how does Sally Norton like to spend her time relaxing reading or do you have a favorite author?
2: Well, you know, I've, I had to sacrifice a lot of relaxation time to get this book done and there's more to do that now we're working on for everybody. So, but it's a big luxury yesterday I took the morning and did a two-hour two hour hike with a friend down by the river in our town. Boy, was that good for me. I just loved it. And then last night, I sat down and watched front to end. This hardly ever happens because I only have like 20 minutes to watch a movie. I watched the whole movie all in one sit, The Glass Onion last night. That was a lot of fun. So I do use Netflix. And I've got books I really want to read. The, um, uh, why am I forgetting the name of this book? Let
0: me think about something Oh, a yes. great
2: plant-based con. She mm-hmm. sent me that wonderful book. She's actually a good writer. Yeah, I'm just I'm just a geek, but she's really a good writer. And I really want to devour that book. And I haven't really had the time to do it because in a way that's not really relaxing. It's sort of gonna piss me off <laughs> and it's more of my work life. And if I'm going to read stuff for work, it's me uh, reading medical literature. I still, I have piles of it around. I mean, I have piles of papers and things I want to digest. And I, even though I'm not not really doing research now, in the month of January, I probably downloaded another 40 articles of medical literature. So uh, I used to like occasionally like old style, um, really like hundred year old fiction corny fiction. I'm not, the today's culture of like raunchy language and I don't know. And I know, I
1: notice from time to time, Sally, you post pictures. You like to go out to plays and see live performances too, right? It's in your downtime.
2: Yeah, well, I, I was riding back from Keto Fest on the train on Amtrak and this lady got on in New York and sat next to me and told me about how she travels for plays and how Um, I told her Hamilton was coming to Broadway in my town. She says, you have got to get season tickets. You won't get good, be able to see Hamilton if you don't get season tickets. So she convinced me, and I texted my husband, and he, within five minutes, we had season tickets. (laughs) And ever since now, then, you know, a year later, COVID hit and all that. So we've been maintaining season tickets, and I find by buying them ahead of time as a group, it forces you to quit working all the time and get out and take part in culture. And it's so inspiring to see how hard people work to be on the stage and the creativity on the stage, things like Lion King and stuff. is just like mind blowing. It's so exciting to touch base with, with human devotion and the creative spirit. So yeah, we, we've been really enjoying the plays. I, I would like to treat myself to an opera too. I haven't The last time I went to an opera is when I worked in the city of Cleveland in public health. We had a kid's program called just Chillin' and try to keep kids out of gangs and give them uh, more constructive things to do and to be thinking about their lives and their health. And we would take, like, I would take a bunch of them to the local TV station. The opera came to town. We have really good culture in Cleveland, too. The, you know, the Cleveland, it's this orchestra and all, that's amazing. So this opera came, and we got to meet some of the opera singers with the kids, you know, as part of Richmond. We took them to La Traviata. These are little urban kids who, by the time they're two, they can break dance and People can't believe, and, and so they relate to music, and they loved the opera. I was really amazed at how much they got into it, and that's the last time I've seen the opera. That was like last 1990 two. or something. So that would be a fun thing to do. I feel like at my age, I'm going to be 59 in March. I feel like at my age, I should be doing things like that. I should have the um, time and financial freedom to do that sort of thing and support the arts.
1: On behalf of all the people that you've helped out there, I wanna say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your dedication to this. It is an absolute joy and an honor to speak with you. Uh, You know, I send all my love your way. And really, as I said before, I thank you for allowing me to be here today and do this because I know I would not be able to had I not found the low oxalate space and yourself. We wanna say thank you for all your work, folks. I've talked about this book, go out and get it. Sally, where can folks find you and connect with your work and buy the book? Where can they find you?
2: You can buy the book anywhere books are sold and bug your local library. Make sure they have a copy too. Please, please try to like talk up the book with the retailers and your local book outlets and come visit me on my website and get on my email list. I'm trying to be good about sending weekly email. I'm generally not a fan of sending emails. So I'm trying to do better. Um, and that's the best way to be in touch with us. You can reach out to us through the um, website if people know of a speaking opportunity to help get more people uh, aware of oxalates and it's best to write to me on the website there's a lot of free information there sometime in the next month we should have a set of data tables now available to people that we've been working hard on like to really set it up as a database so we really have good control and good ways of like um, curating the data because i know you don't need 17 different numbers for spinach we need to like guesstimate what the average spinach might have because whatever you're buying in the store isn't that spinach so anyway working hard to like deliver data that will work well so that'll be check back for that too um but my website's the best place to reach me say hi on instagram but um and that's it's easy it's easy read the book let me know how that's going if if you have it in you to leave a review this is really the magic because we're creating it's like a form of science in a way, certainly a social science, to be able to finally have a platform for having a voice. This is it.
1: Thank you, Sally. I say with whole heart, protect this woman at all costs. She is the light in our world. Thank you so much for everything, Sally. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope we can do it again sometime.
2: Well, (laughs) I could use some bodyguards like you, and I just cannot begin to tell you how you make my heart swell that that somehow somebody's listening to me.
0: And that's a wrap on this episode of Carnivorous Chats. If you've made it this far, I want to say thank you for listening. And also thank you in advance for liking, subscribing, or sharing this episode. Thanks again to the good folks at Carnivore Bar and Equipped Foods. Don't forget to check the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products. And also, don't forget you can book me for a 30-minute carnivore coaching session through Rivero Health. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Until the next time, be well.